there we go. We are back again for another fantastic episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. Um, we're getting closer to the 100 episode mark, so it's going to be good to see where we're actually um, going to finish that 100 episodes. I think 100 episodes might be during the World Cup time in November, so that'll be quite good to see how far along we're going to be. But no, I'm really um, happy to be back. Man United have caused me another weekend of pain, another weekend of sorrow, another weekend of drama. But that's what Man United do. They are a social experiment to their fans and they love to cause pain to their fans because um, the guys who are joining us on the podcast today, before I introduce them, they already know we're not going to be talking about any BS transfer rumours because as they are two well-versed football fans, they know transfer rumours at Man United change every single day. (laughs) You've got Marcus Cunha, you've got Jao Felix, you've got Casemiro. I don't believe any of them are coming. Uh, De Jong, it's not going to come. Um, Rabio, Rabio. I'm glad that deals off. On out of it, glad that deals off as well. Because Anthony, Anthony, you know Anthony. how it, you know how it is. It's one of those where you're going to put a podcast out on a certain day, and it's already old news because you're just kind of there, like, oh yeah, it's just another name plucked out of that hat. Musa Dembele <laughs> from Leon was another name. It's crazy. Um, but no, we're going to start off on the west coast of um of the United States. So I'm going to pass it over to my fellow coach from Strictly Football. Please introduce yourself properly. Do yourself some justice because it's been very good to work with you earlier this summer as well. So do introduce yourself to us. Hey, my name is Ariel. Uh, I'm one of the one of the co-hosts on a, a podcast named Strictly Football. We mainly discuss stuff in the CONCACAF with a sprinkle of like European football. Uh, I mean, my favorite teams are in Europe. Uh, Your favorite team is Arsenal. My favorite team is Arsenal. Yes. There we go. So in England, it's Arsenal. I would love to go to see them. That's one of my goals in life is to go to go see the stadium and go see like the just to be with the fans and uh and just kind of just be in that atmosphere. So yeah, you know, I, I watch from afar. Uh, but I've been playing football since I was like four, three. So I've been I've been around it, and uh and I've just always have just been like enamored by the way that the culture kind of just looks like because here in the united states it's just not as big you know football is not as like it's not the it's not the one that you turn on and people are like oh yeah that's the one that i want to see mm-hmm. uh, but it just seems like that's just a different feel out in out in europe and uh yeah i've always just uh really introduced that but yeah it's just been cool linking up with you and uh yeah thank you for having me on no, thanks for having me on your podcast earlier this summer as well it was really good to speak to you and the guys there it was really nice to have a conversation with you. Adil here thinks that I'm only getting you on the podcast because I have somewhere to stay for the 2026 World Cup in a couple of years' time. <laughs> That's not the case. That isn't the case, I assure you. Even though the West Coast of the USA is very um, attractive at this time of year as well, which is great. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. And hopefully we'll be getting to talk a bit more about... Uh, we'll, we'll start off with Arsenal because you're on, you're on our podcast as a guest. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Arsenal so far this season. And we've got back my cousin Adil, the main man who just like me, goes to Man United games, complains about Man United games and complains about how nothing really has changed. But he does it a bit more on our WhatsApp group than on the podcast. Adam, when are you going to be joining as a regular on this podcast, man? I need you back. When you have me back. <laughs> when you stop playing tennis at the gym without me. You're, you're always like, oh, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to play tennis. And I'm like, you still, sake, man. you still need to join me for a game of tennis. Still hasn't happened. I don't think I'd beat you at tennis. That's why I've enjoyed. That's why I challenge you to football because I know I have a chance at beating you at football and tennis as well. Um, but no, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have no you back so, so early on in the season. And we've kind of made a, an agreement together, Ariel, that we're not going to go to my United games until they have 
physically and mentally improve because we're not wasting 50 60 quid on um 50 60 pounds sorry on tickets to watch man united go bad and just like you mentioned earlier on in the podcast or earlier on your dream is to go and watch arsenal arsenal playing some attractive football it needs to be said after two years of Mikel Arteta kind of go, him, having hits and misses as well, Ariel. So let me just get your first thoughts on Mikel Arteta, Gabriel Jesus and your start to the season so far. I know we're only two games in, but you've got to praise what, what's actually just happened, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's been it's been a it's been quite a roller coaster of, of a ride so far with the emotions that come with Arteta. I think like when he was, uh, you know, assigned to the job, uh, you know, it all started off kind of good. And then all of a sudden you just kind of get this big, like low and, uh, and, and then you kind of get all of this backlash. Right. And, you know, and of course my context is from far away. I'm start. I'm seeing the all or nothing documentary. I'm like getting pumped up every time I'm watching that thing. I'm, I'm ready to go out there too. And like, I'm, so support, I'm, I'm into- supporting the kit man as well. When no, not the kit man, the cameraman, when the cameraman's going, this is my club. I have been yeah. love this club. This is me. <laughs> Even I was oh, like, I, was Damn, I, want, I want, I want Arsenal to win, and I didn't want them to win in real life. So that's a bit surprising <laughs> I, as well. Crazy. I was getting my cleats on. You know, I was getting ready to go. I was putting my uniform on. So, oh, you know, man. so you see, so you see that, and like I'm starting to buy more into him uh, as a coach, and just as like somebody that I think like is able to get it. I do think though that there are uh, a little bit like a few, a few far of a jump, right? Like I think that it's only the first two games. Crystal Palace to me is a tough team. I every time that they play them, they have they kind of struggle. Patrick Crystal Vieira, Palace away is always a big game as well for yeah. Arsenal. Always. And Patrick Vieira, ex-Arsenal player, wants to beat them. So there's that like storyline happening there. So it's a tough game. They played really well. This second game, they also played pretty well. And then there was that, I believe it was the second half where they were not as, as strong. Um and so, so the team is is starting to form. You know, he has his he has his players, um, and he and he's kind of coming up with his style. The style is kind of clear. I think Gabriel Jesus. I was kind of doubting him when we got him, but I mean, the dude is kind of balling out right now. Like he's he's kind of playing at a at a out of this like you know he's you can just tell he's just above the other guys' level. So like he's coming from Man City where they're just used to winning. He's not used yeah. to fucking getting smacked up. You know what I'm saying? So like. <laughs> He's on the other end of that. So you could just tell that like we like we needed that. Like we need that like type of like uh mentality kind of coming in. You know what I'm saying? Like we need people that are winners. Cause when Shaka, I mean, bless his soul, when he's the leader in the locker room, we're not we're not going far, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So and and he, but even him though, like he's starting to look good in the team. And I've been you know, I've been wanting to get that guy out of there for a minute. So the yeah, fact well, that he's still there and he's kind of like he even he's looking good. But then again, again, like I said, it's the first two games, not the strongest of opponents. The next three games are not even that strong of an opponent until we actually meet some like real big heavy uh, opponents. So, but so far I'm riding it. You know, second in the table, riding it. This is not where we were last season. That's what we're here for, isn't it? Because last season Man United went off to a really good start and we were riding it after beating Leeds five yeah. one and. Uh, beating Wolverhampton, I think we drew to Southampton as well. But Arsenal, the ones that lost the first three games, so literally the tide has turned literally 180 from our team to your team and your team to our team. But you mentioned about Gabriel Jesus as well being a leader. What I really liked about him, and I never really saw this at City because you never really um, needed to in a way. When um, Gab- when Gabriel Jesus was demanding the ball a lot more as well, especially from Granit Xhaka, from Partey in that Crystal Palace game, you're seeing him 
get really angry because they're not making progressive passes forward. They're not passing through the lines quick enough. And that's why I really think Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko are the new kind of leaders because they have seen um, the mentality monster and Pep Guardiola, really. And they've seen how well he can change some of these players. And some of these players before Pep Guardiola, as we know, Jack Grealish, Shao Cancelo, they were good players, but now they're even better players. Probably not Jack Grealish at this moment in time. But like Rodri as well being one of the best centre defensive midfielders. Also, how is Rodri not in the Ballon d'Or contender list for top thirty? I thought he's one of the best centre midfielders in the world, let alone centre defensive midfielders. That's crazy to see how he got omitted from that. Strange to see, really. Um, but yeah, that's those are my thoughts on Arsenal. Adil, I, I know you're like number one Arsenal hate around here, so. Um, objectively speaking, and then from oh, your no. own, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's that's how it is. That's how it is. <laughs> oh no, but yeah, I, I I wasn't an Arsenal hater up until I started working with a colleague of mine. That's why he's an Arsenal hater. Talks about Arsenal like they are, I don't know, the greatest team on the planet that's yes. ever been. They are they are the eighth wonder of the world. Arsenal football yeah. club to some fans. I, I literally... you not to Ariel. Ariel's a Spencer one, so Arsenal fan. That's why I got him on the podcast. <laughs> Talk some sense. I, I literally despise Arsenal. No. <laughs> and, and, uh, well, they're like, all like troops TV, like troops. Yeah, I'm he, sure that he, you talks, probably... he talks the same as, you know, Ty and Arsenal fan TV. He oh, sounds yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. the same. That's it's my the, guy, though. I, I love Ty. Like <laughs> Wenger was the best manager ever. and and now Arteta's the man. He's the, the man from the Premier League. You know, Jesus is the best striker since Art Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo. Oh, nine. Oh, God. It's um, like, oh, my days. Jeez, it's two games. That delusional. No. It's like, it's two games. Calm down, please. We'll wait, wait till <laughs> the end of September, October. Then we'll see where Arsenal are. One, I mean, yeah, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, objectively speaking, as well. Do you think they still need one or two more players in their team? Like, Because I'm looking at the links of uh, Yuri Tillemans, and I think he'd be a great player to have to co- uh, try and compliment Xhaka, probably take his place and work with Partey. Yeah, yeah, I think, do you think, I think they think, need someone else as well? Or I, think, another I think Xhaka probably does need replacing in that centre the park for them. Mm. I don't think he's... You know, he'll have two or three good games, then he'll have ten off games, and then he'll come back and have another two or three, you know... Decent games, but then he'll go missing again. And then his temperament as well. He lets that get the better of him, you know. I quite like that about Xhaka, though, to be fair. I do like his temperament because someone in that in that team needs a temperament like that as well. And There's that was... as well, but then you've seen before where he loses it with the crowd and they turn on him and he turns on them. Yeah, but we don't like Arsenal yeah. fans that much besides Ariel here. So if he wants to go, <laughs> if he has, wants to have a go at 60,000 Arsenal fans, he can. Why not? <laughs> That's why I like Xhaka quite a lot as well. Um, but I yeah. feel like he's like kind of like almost like an equivalent to Harry Maguire. Like I don't know what the hell the coaches oh, see. Oh no, 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 no. Like, I don't, I don't know what they, I don't know what they see in these guys. No, you're they, good like, with Xhaka. You're good with no, Xhaka, Xhaka. Believe me, you're yeah, good with Xhaka. Believe that's me. That's a just, just uh, injustice to Xhaka. Yeah, yeah. Xhaka's yeah, yeah. a, well, a football. I'm just saying, like, not maybe not football wise, but I'm just saying, like, they must just do something in practice that, like, the coaches are just like, that's my guy. Like that's that's my leader in the locker room. Like they must just be doing something because it baffles me till this day that this man is still at this club. The mm. way he was with the fans, the way like that, like kind of just erupted. No, like no real like dialogue about it. It was just kind of this thing, and then all of a sudden he's our captain. He's the one leading the dressing room. You know what I'm saying? Like 
and Arteta is just kind of there, which is kind of, you know, we don't know, you know, we don't know what's happening, but obviously Arteta likes him. That's very obvious. I would even say that even if we were to get Tillemans, like, Shaka would still probably start. That's his guy. Yeah, because yeah. he plays favorites, so I, I'd imagine as well. With that, because then we've still have, I know we're going to talk about, uh, I want to talk about another player, but we'll continue with Xhaka. But what makes Xhaka so different to the other midfielders that you have? Is it his tenacity, like I mentioned, or was it because he's got an all rounded kind of play, one of the longest serving players? What do you think it is, Ariel, that makes him one of Arteta's favorites? I think it's just because he's the, the oldest, the oldest player in the team, one of the oldest players <laughs> in the team. I mean, our team's hella young, you know, like he's 28, about to be 29, like. You know he's 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 one of the older dudes, so he, we need somebody like of of experience there. It just it just so happens that he's just really erratic. Mm. He's really he's really like erratic with the way that he plays. So we sometimes we could be playing really well, and then all of a sudden he'll give a penalty, and that'll be the that'll deflate it or he'll get a red. You know. So w- while I like what you said about the the emotions and like you know the passion type of deal kind of coming out. I also don't like when we're down a player because he couldn't control it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do believe we need a dog in there, though. I do mm. need, I do think the midfield needs like a dog in there because mm. Partey's not like Partey is not that. I mean, I love Partey, but he, we just need like a dog in there. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody that's just going to go in there and fight the balls. I really wish Arsenal would have gotten Basuma, to be honest with you. Basuma somebody that amazing. just, Basuma would have just like, if we would have gotten him, a player like him, like we could still get him, but like I think a player like him, just somebody that just is in there to just disrupt. I think if you, you know? went for someone like Douglas Luiz from Aston Villa, that would be a really good mm-hmm. signing. Someone who can yep. have the energy and the passing range, but also like you said, have a dog in him as well, which would be crazy to see. Because I know there's links of Moises Saicedo from Brighton as another mm-hmm. player for next season for Arsenal, but we'll see if that happens because he's only recently joined uh, Brighton as well. It's like a year into his contract, so. That could be something further down the line because we've seen Arsenal without the hard man in the midfield, without the the proper guys to make the tackles. And we've seen how open they've been without someone like that. And you'd have someone mm-hmm. like Alex Song in there who's good, but he's not like a tough tackling centre defensive mid. Rash tackler, but not a tough tackling one. So it's good to see someone like Granit Xhaka kind of take his place in their way as well. And I know Arsenal have got some really good young wingers coming through as well with Saka and Martinelli. But there's one guy I do want to talk to you about, Ariel. Um, Nicolas Pepe, what's going on with him? Do you reckon he's going to be leaving? Because I feel like Arsenal still are lacking on the wings. Like If there was an injury to Saka, who would you play on the right with a left footer? Yeah. Who would you bring in? But I'm just kind of thinking, is there no way back for Nicolas Pepe? Or do you reckon it's time for him to finally go after two, three years at the club? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Nicolas Pepe is like an unfortunate signing because the dude is just super talented. Like To me, like whenever I've seen him play, like he's just... Super talented. He's like a game changer, but it's just not the right system. Ardetta seems to me like he wants his players to do very specific instructions. He's out there fucking like giving the whole game plan in the middle of the game. So like Pepe is just not that, you know, I think Pepe needs more freedom than that. And it's just not it is. I don't think it's a good mix. I think uh, I know that there was links for him to go back to France. Uh, and I think that would probably be best for him. Like, mm. I think it's just trying to separate because it's not working. Because even if Saka were to get injured, I don't think that this fool would play him. Like, it just, he just, it, I don't think he really likes him that much. And Pepe, I mean, of course, again, I'm going by the documentary, but Pepe looks kind of lost. Like, in the small sights that we do get of him in the documentary, mm. he just looks kind of lost. He doesn't really know, doesn't really seem like he knows what's happening. 
Yeah, it's one of those where I'm looking at Nicolas Pepe and I'm thinking he likes having that that less responsibility of defending from when you watched him uh, for Nice, not for Nice, for Lille, for Lille sorry. And then um, when he was playing for Arsenal as well, because in that first season, I thought he did pretty well. And Nicolas Pepe has a bad place in my heart for for the, for the entirety of my life, as Adam will know as well. <laughs> I'll explain the situation. Nicholas Pepe scored against Man United on my wedding day, Ariel. <laughs> oh, no. And we were watching it together after after um one of our events, after our dues. And I was like, for goodness sake, man, Nicholas Pepe, why is he scoring? <laughs> I think it's Pepe and Aubameyang that scored. So I'm yeah. always kind of there like, okay, this guy, if he's had a good start to this season, he'll carry on. But it's just so he's not getting his chance. And I think there's no replacing Bukayo Saka unless there is an injury because I think it's starting every other game for you going forward and I think that's where you need some genuine competition as well so there were links of Pedro Neto from Wolverhampton Wanderers being signed by Arteta before deadline day in a couple weeks time do you reckon he'll be someone that you'd love at uh, Arsenal because personally I think uh, Pedro Neto would be amazing at a top four club someone challenging the link was another player from is it Villarreal yeah Jeremy Pino but I think he's a bit too raw at the moment for the Premier League I think Neto is a bit more established I think it'd be a very good player to actually hold up the ball a bit more the way that Arteta likes to bring the midfield and the fullbacks into play as well. Jeremy Pino is a bit rash when I saw him for Villarreal but Ariel, what are your thoughts on um, that? Do you reckon you actually need someone in, in the wing or is it just kind of us like thinking you need someone else? No, I, I definitely think Saka needs some competition. I think, uh, especially in these last two games, I actually feel like Saka I think Gabriel, the introduction of Gabriel Jesus is good for Saka's development because it's taking the spotlight off of Saka Mm. So Saka is actually being able to kind of lay low. But now because his standards are so high, I feel like we're like kind of not even paying attention to the fact that Saka's not really even playing that. Like he wasn't really that crucial in many of the of the goals, you know, that, that were played up. So if anything, is Gabriel Martinelli that's been kind of standing out on the wings. Saka has kind of been on the outs- outskirts of it. So I do think that they're like and if he could get going, then I think the attack is, you know, much more well-rounded. But yeah, I think you do need some competition. He's probably still going to be the starter, but yeah, I think Neto would be a really good one. I think he's a beast. I think, I think he would be a dope uh, addition to the team. I think uh, he he has Premier League experience. I think that's what you kind of need, you know, and uh, at least for a young player, uh, some competition that has some knowing around the league. I also agree about the Villarreal kid. Uh, it's also like they're asking for a lot. Yeah, you know, for a kid that's like not even like we're, you know, what's the kid done so far? We're all just going off a of potential, and I think have, I would they be have wary two of how best, much they spend. Yeah, sorry, to interrupt. They have two better wingers in Dan Juma and Chukwezi as well, who are their yeah. first team wingers, who will probably be the same price as Pino as well, if not a bit less, because they're a bit more established in a way, and they have less on their contracts as well. So even if you were to go for one of those wings, they may be a bit more up your street than Jeremy Pino in a way as well. So that could be a nice little bargaining tool for Arsenal as well, if they were to go for Chukwezi or Dan Juma, for example, as well. Because Dan Juma previously played for Bournemouth and now he did really well um, in this uh, Villarreal team as well, which is really good um, to see as well going forward. Um, but Ariel, I did want to ask you one more question on Arsenal before we move on to our next topic as well. Do you genuinely uh, genuinely believe Arsenal will do well in the Europa League coming up as well? Because you're qualified for the Europa League, just like Man United, I believe, as well. So yeah. um, how do you think Mikel Arteta is going to play it? Because the Premier League season is going to be a long season. Do you reckon this is where he'll get the chance to rotate some of his youth players in, some of his fringe players in? Like, 
Um, Vieira coming back into the squad and Smith Rowe coming back from injury as well. Do you reckon that'll be a good time or do you reckon he'll go for first team, first team, first team just because he wants that first taste of European um, silverware for Arsenal? Yeah, it's mm, a good question. I think, uh, I mean, if the team plays the way that they're playing, I think that they they can win the Europa League. Mm. I think if they continue this, I think that they can win it. Top four through the Premier League, that's a little bit more tough. I think that's a little tougher. I think uh, Spurs' team is just kind of, they're kind of, I don't know. That team is the, that's the team that like makes me nervous because I feel like though that's our only real competition for fourth place, really. Because I think Chelsea, Good. Chelsea might slip up, but mm. I don't know. I don't particularly see that happening that much, but Spurs, on the other hand, I don't know. They, I think Conte is just kind of turning them around. So I think that I would probably put my chips in Europa League. Yeah, that would be that would be the place where I would put my my chips. Definitely. No, I do. How about you? Do you reckon Arsenal can break forth into that um, top four spot? Because you said something to me on WhatsApp a couple of weeks ago that we won't have to reveal on it. I won't bait you out to the whole wide world, but. Um, do you think Arsenal can break forth into this top four? And do you reckon they can actually take advantage of like an underperforming Chelsea or maybe a Tottenham team that could make it into the top four? What do you think about that? Potentially, yes. Mm. But the thing is, as I said to you on WhatsApp, it's about how teams react to the World Cup. Going to the mm. World Cup, building up to the World Cup, and once they return from the World Cup as well. Because it could be very much a tale of two different seasons before the World Cup and after the World Cup. Just like the lockdown season as well. Coming yeah, back so it's straight like, away. Who kicks off the restart better than the others? Because it could what? be some teams don't start up again. You know, the players, some of the players don't go to the World Cup. They're off the pace. Some players do go to the World Cup. They're burnt out. They're off the pace. I think it, yeah, you can or, talk you or, can talk in October and say, Oh, this team's doing well, this team's doing well. But then come December, January, they might not be doing as well. So basically we're looking at the squads of who's actually going to the World Cup and who's actually not going to the World Cup because it could even be the players who don't go to the World Cup and they're just like lounging around for a month or so before going back into season training before they have to come back in. And they're coming yeah. back in straight into the Christmas period as well when there's a game every two, three days. And that's how yeah. the Premier League is, which is it crazy. Kicks, it kicks off Boxing Day again, doesn't it? The Premier yeah. League. Like a week after and the then it's like one game the normal Christmas schedule after Boxing Day. Yeah. Which, so yeah. No rest for the wicked in this World Cup season coming See, up. Yeah. In so it's that's what I think is going to play a massive part in this season. Do you know my theory? I think Man United players are preparing for being that bad after the World Cup, so they're starting to prepare the fans now. That's why they're so bad. <laughs> I think it's a Ten Hag masterclass right there. They, they're going in lazy and uh, lackadaisical and lacking energy and not or, running or anything. Or as well. it could be the exact opposite. Do you reckon after the World Cup, Man United could come back and they'll be... Man United will turn up. <laughs> they'll turn that's up. My, that's my hope. Like Pogba in that 5-1 win against Leeds and Bruno Fernandes come back from the Euros and they're just like, yeah, we're going to do it straight away. And Harry Maguire coming back in after the Euros as well. It could be crazy don't, to see how it goes. Don't even mention his name anymore. We're going <laughs> to talk about Man United, but we're not going to be talking about the devilish Harry Maguire because I feel I feel like he's just overdue his captaincy being stripped of him. and He needs to be stripped of playing for Man United. Then, even mention <laughs> 
there were five subs against Brentford, right? And not one of them was Harry Maguire being subbed off, which is not even considered. Yeah, and he took. Off, it he wasn't took even considered. Wrong defender. He took off. He took off. He took off. He took off. Defender. He took off Lisandro Martinez. Yeah, when he didn't even put a foot wrong. Lisandro Martinez only got beaten in the air, and he got beaten on height and strength. But, but you can't he, blame the, his genetics on that because he was the that better goal. That third goal wasn't even his fault. If Maguire got his head to the ball on the first hit, he would have cleared it. But it's, it's insane how people love to jump to the Martinez conclusion because it's small. But if the position yeah. of Maguire was right, if he was with an adequate centre-back partner, it's crazy because <laughs> it shows how people are like... I get why people are angry because people are like, oh yeah, Martinez, he got bullied by Tony. He did, but his centre-back partner should be partnering him and backing him up properly. But he yeah. didn't. And that's See, what... Harry Maguire's a wimp, man. He's such a wimp. And I love the fact that he's our captain and he he, he is the way that he is. He's like that, that kid in the playground who's like, oh, I'll get my big brother to beat you up if you pick on me again. And then <laughs> he gets beaten up and his big brother never comes to help him. There might be, there might be a hidden message in there as well. But he literally... Even, <laughs> even after the game, it's like he, he didn't even... He applauded the fans half and he didn't even go to the... the he didn't even go to the fans. He turned around and walked back down the tunnel again. It's crazy. And being a captain, you'd expect him to come out after the game and talk. But no, he hid. He hid. He hides a lot. He really does hide a lot, Harry Maguire. And I think it's fully time. If Ten Hag hasn't realised it now, even if you start Lindelof and Martinez, Martinez and Varane, Varane and Lindelof, you can't start Maguire in this. I'm thinking Ariel and all these other rival fans are just laughing at us. And rightly so, yeah. because we are a shambles. We're the same colour as this damn Spotify logo, for goodness sake. <laughs> so it's awful to see that we're playing like um, a bunch of... Um, what did I say on the weekend? I said it. We were looking like a bunch of like um, construction workers with their high visibility jackets on as well. <laughs> awful to see. Direct and traffic. Direct and traffic, exactly. We were directing traffic to our own goal, because that's how it was. We are like, yeah, but, just come on. No, but they, they, they weren't like, any traffic. They were just stood there lifeless. They were like... <laughs> They, well, was... I will say this though. I feel like Brentford though is like, I will. I think that I mean that was our first game last season, and they smacked us up. We got hit like a fucking freight train, mm. hit us. So like, I think that that's an underrated like stadium right now, like an underrated like team to go play against. Like especially in the first half of the season, I think like they looked like they're super amped up, and it's not an easy place to play. And then you're throwing in teams that are just not ready, like the way Arsenal was last year and the way Mar- Mar- Manchester United are this year. I mean, it's just not a good a good mix. I think you what went well with Brentford. Sorry, carry on. You could say that Brentford were super awesome on Saturday. But on the other hand, Man United made them look that good. I, I think they are going to grow this season as well because I've, I've predicted them to be finishing probably bottom half but top of the bottom half. Yeah. Um, this this season as well, but their home form is what will really take them apart as well. It's what worked really well for them last season as well. But realistically speaking, as well, um, Brentford even re- replacing Christian Eriksen, they've done pretty well in how they're going to be going about that. And they've got uh, Mikhail Damsgaard in, who's a fantastic young player from mm-hmm. Sampdoria, the Danish international as well. So it'll be really good to see how he does bit, in the Premier League as bit, well. It's a bit like for like with Christian Eriksen, Damsgaard is. Yeah, because he can play on the wing, he can play as an attacking midfielder, but in the Brentford system, he may end up being as like a second striker, even or as a as a winger as well. Um, but the main topic of Man United I wanted to talk to you about today um, is Ralph Ragnick. Who is Ralph Ragnick? People ask. Ralph Ragnick is the guy who exposed the Glazers and it told 
everything how it was last season at Manchester United. And I was a big supporter of this. I loved it. I remember going to the Wolves game and saying we were awful. I was effing and blinding. One of my reels went to like 10K following, I think. Not following views. But I was like, what did I even say? I was just saying the truth. And what I loved about it afterwards was Ralph Ragnick said the exact same thing because it was in January. He was looking for reassurance that they were going to be spending some money in that January transfer window. And did we? We didn't. We did not spend a penny on a quality player. We saw the likes of Luis Diaz, who Ralph Ragnick wanted, go to Liverpool. We saw the likes of Dusan Vlahovic, who uh, Ralph Ragnick wanted, go to um, Juventus. Juventus. And then we saw Dennis Zakaria, who also Ralph Ragnick wanted from Gladbach, go to Juventus as well. So we were just kind of there like, okay. What there was the another hell? player as well, Ricky Alvarez, that went to Man City. Julian Alvarez. Yeah. Julian Alvarez, who went to Man City, who I got so happy for. I was like, oh yeah, Julian Alvarez is a sick player. I bought a River Plate shirt, for goodness sake. So <laughs> uh, if you've seen our latest football video, you'll see me wearing a, a River Plate shirt. I couldn't care less about River Plate. I just thought Julian Alvarez was a really good player. And then he went to Man City. So I'm like, oh my God, I've done it again, haven't I? And I was going to buy like a, an, an, a Dutch kit as well for Frankie de Jong. And Frankie de Jong hasn't even arrived yet. So I'm like, so much for overspending on these clearance shirts. Um, I'm like, <laughs> um, but no, realistically speaking, the same thing that's happening to Eric Ten Hag is happening to what was what happened to Ralph Ragnick. It's happened to Jose Mourinho as well. But for people in their um, shorter term memory as well, Ralph Ragnick is the guy who literally said that Man United needed open heart surgery. They needed someone to come in. They needed someone to have a clear identity on how their football was to be played and to realistically speak, get rid of a lot of this dead weight. Fortunately, yeah. only one of those only one of those parts have happened. The dead weight has gone. But at Manchester United, as Adil and I will know, most of the team, like 99%, is dead weight. Dead weight is still in that starting eleven that played against Brentford. Dead weight is still going to be against Liverpool on Monday night as it comes up as well. And it goes to show how they don't even listen to their new manager and the way that they wanted to play. They try to play his way. They don't succeed in the way that he plays. And they did the same with Ralph Ragnick. If you guys but remember... That's the, that's the thing. They don't even play the, he, the way that he wants them to play. They didn't even listen to that on Saturday. Mm. Like, I think after, after that Ericsson mess up and that De Gea mess up, they're like, now we'll just go back to the old way that we play instead of trying to actually listen to what... Um, the manager wants what Eric Ten Hag wants and it, it all looks so bad for Eric Ten Hag and I feel for the guy I really really do like it's not even his issue because he was probably given assurances when he came into the club that he'd be able to reform this team to his liking to get in the plays in that he wants he hasn't been able to sign Anthony he hasn't been able to sign Frankie de Jong he hasn't been able to sign some of these players that he's really wanted and some of these players that he needs to get rid of haven't been sold they haven't been getting rid of as well but one thing I don't really like sorry I'm, I'm kind of rambling on a bit is the fact that the warning signs were already there for Man United. And it's not just from the fans complaining about Glazers out all the time. It's about how Ralph Ragnick has said to these guys, look, this team is not how we want to play. They are not playing the way that I want to play. When you bring in a new manager, they have to play the way that he wants to play. What's the point of having players from Sir Alex Ferguson's days, uh, players from Louis van Gaal's days, from Mourinho's days, Solskjaer's days? And Rag uh, it's crazy. You've got four or five different managers. I know no one's from David Moyes' era. Uh, that was only Matter and Fellaini, if I remember correctly. But um, let's go to Ariel first, actually. What do you think from the outside in? Do you think it's just a bunch of Man United fans whining and complaining all the time because we're bad? Or do you think there really is a, a lack of identity on this pitch for Man United to actually fall, um, like even just follow behind, just in general, to say, 
yeah, we may have lost against Brentford, but at least we saw what we wanted to do. We saw the players gave a damn. Or do you think there's a lot more into this um, for you? <laughs> I didn't see that. No one saw that. Anyone with a brain that one off the list. Because uh, that is not what I saw with your players. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, I wonder who in the on the field or on the pitch was like, let's go back to, let's go back. <laughs> Come on, guys, this is not working. Let's go back to the way that we used to play. Uh, and I wonder who that player is or who made that decision. So that, two, words, something that two words, two words, two words. Harry Maguire. Oh, you think it was Harry Maguire? I think it's Harry Maguire and I think it's Luke Shaw because they can only play a certain type of way. That's why they do so yeah. well for England and that's why they don't do well um, for Man United because when they play for England, they play in a back five. So mm. Luke Shaw has all the freedom. He has less defensive responsibility and has got a bit more space to actually go up and down the wing. There's more responsibility on him going up and down the wing for Man United because sometimes the winger, Marcus Rashford, has to go infield so to take away the fullback. But Luke Shaw can't handle two players on one. He can't take on a man properly as a fullback as well. He can't triple past them as much. And Harry Maguire, again, playing in the back five for England, he has two extra people supporting him as well. So if Man mm -hmm. United were to play five at the back with Harry Maguire against Liverpool, for example, it's because Eric Ten Hag doesn't trust him. And he has to compromise on what his style of play is to suit Harry Maguire's style of play. So have Varane one side, Martinez another side, or Lindelof one side, whoever it is. And it's embarrassing to see because... Sometimes you'll see Harry Maguire just loaf the ball forward or he'll kick it out of play. Even in the Brentford game and in the Brighton game as well, when we're playing out from the back, just losing the ball. He's trying to head it. You know when the ball comes to you, Ariel, when you've got space? You've got space around you. But no one within like five feet of you. He heads it over the player who is meant to pass it to. And you're seeing Bruno, you're seeing Ronaldo, you're seeing even Sancho saying, just chest the ball down, take it down. Yeah. He doesn't do it. He'll be a just hero. Yeah, there's no need to be a hero. Who just yeet it down the ground. It's embarrassing. And you're just yeah. like, this is our captain as well. So, um, yeah. Um, back to what you were saying in terms of how yeah, they, we default they, that. I mean, the team feels disjointed. I think, like, while there is a lack of identity, I do feel like there is like a lot of disjointment in the team. I think that, uh, you know, the, the defense doesn't really seem in contact with, with the front line. There are many times in the game where Cristiano felt like at least to me like it seemed like he just wanted to just like I need to do something and like just a growing frustration of like I need to just do something mm -hmm. and people were just throwing it to him and he was trying to get there trying to you know try to do what he can and, and and it just it there was no real ideas going forward you know and uh I think that's been the case for like for all of last season and these two that we had this season as well it's like he looks to the back when they have the ball and he's like please in some way make it come here you know yeah, please <laughs> in and, some and then, way try, and what he to... then does he then comes back into midfield yeah. he gets the ball he'll then pass it to someone else but there's no outlet for them and then they rather lose possession or they have to pass it back to the keeper there's no yeah. real way of going forward because the guy who you want as your number nine as your striker is playing as a right centre mid because no one can get the ball out to right centre mid so he has to create an extra uh, he has to take an extra man away from him by coming into midfield and it's quite worrying to see how especially if we were to do this against Liverpool how we're going to look to kind of counter-attack on this side how we're going to look to uh, progress past this side as well but it's really sad to see because it looks like it should have been done and dusted earlier in this in the summer window to get a centre defence in mid the insistence on Frankie de Jong has been embarrassing from my yeah. United point of view as well and it's one of those where you're looking at some of these teams around Europe like I said 
the last two weeks, even before that, Paulina from Fulham, and I know Adela said this as well, is not a Fulham player, Ariel. He's a top four, top six player. He could have done a job mm. at Arsenal, for goodness sake. He would have been mm. in your starting lineup. Isn't but there's he? another player. There's he another won the, the Nunez as well. Yeah. Mateus Nunez. Both mm. of those two, they won the uh, Premier League in Portugal two seasons ago with Sporting yeah. Lisbon. And that was their main midfield as well. Those two and Brancaga, I think, were their main midfielders. And Goncalves was there as well as a winger. But that was their main midfield, really, Ariel. So in terms of sport in Lisbon, they sold two of their best centre midfielders for a healthy profit. And I think if Man United had capitalised on it, with the likes of Bruno, Ronaldo and Dallo already there, it would have mm-hmm. been a good signing for us as well. But fortunately for us, we've got pa- uh, Vieira coming in uh, when he's back from injury. He'll be a good attack midfield alternative to Odegaard as well. Even playing as an eight would be really good for you guys as well. But who did Man United get? We got Christian Eriksen. And I love Christian Eriksen to death. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's a bad word to use, death. But I love Christian Eriksen so much. He's been a fantastic neutral player for me to watch over the years. But you can't hang your hat on him. You really but can't. He's, he's, not, he's not a player that they've brought in to play in that position. Exactly. That, that's the thing, right? Is like he he looked out of place. Like that setup yeah. that the hair gave him the ball. Like it was such a bad setup. He had no, he had no. There was no out. There was, there no, was out. no. There was nothing else that he could have done. So yeah. he's just he like it's just a bad setup for Lisandro Martinez. It's a bad setup for Ericsson. I would say it's even a bad setup for Sancho. Like for Rashford. Like it's just oh, such yeah. a bad setup for everybody yeah. because like Lisandro Martinez. Like, I'll say this, right? Lisandro Martinez, to me, like, I don't know. I haven't really seen him play that much. But Ten Hag obviously likes him. But I think he's also banking on that the whole team's going to play his style, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to play his style, then Lisandro Martinez is kind of like exactly how you're saying. He's going to get beaten and he's not going to have the partner that he needs. So, mm-hmm. like, like the team actually needs to play in the way that, that it's intended to for those players to actually, you know, like, obviously – Ten Hag see something Ericsson as well to get him as well. But that's, if the team's playing, then 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 these players are just gonna look like they're like the problem. And reality is that this has been a problem that like you said has been there. And you know, they're kind of lining yourselves up to one, you're reminding me a lot of Arsenal last season. I think the biggest difference though is that to me so far is that the coaching changes have been more frequent at Man U. And they haven't had the backing that Arteta has had, right? Arteta has actually had a lot of backing. We've spent a lot of money in the transfer market. So it, there's really very little room to say, like, these are fucking players from freaking Emery or from fucking Wenger. You know what I'm saying? Like, very little of that. But in Man U, it's different. You know, like, it just seems like everything's like a hassle. Like, everything is just like the negotiating goes so slow. Like, some of these things are already starting to look a little bit desperate in, in the way Man U is trying to get players, just anybody, just anybody come and help. And, mm. and and so you know it's unfortunate even for the coach like it's kind of a it's kind of a mess I feel like we're setting up ourselves up to see like a, a Barcelona esque type of situation where Man U this team that is in many ways too big to fail is failing yeah. and so the reaction is like what's going to happen you know like are we going to have to sell our rights and all this other stuff to like be able to generate enough like you know, buy-in to, like, actually get something. But they need to find that coach to just kind of stick with it, which I think Ten Hag potentially could be. They they, they, they have, the, I think they have the coach and he wants his players to play. They, If you look at, say, Lissandro Martinez, he's very composed on the ball. He doesn't panic. His passing is, you know, it's on point. Every pass he makes is on point. And he's always composed on the ball. 
Christian Eriksen is the same. He's a player who's known for being composed on the ball, picking the right pass. Um, the left back that he brought in, composed on the ball as well. But if you look at the players that we had from the previous managers, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Scott McTominay, Fred, don't none mention, of these players are composed on the ball. Don't mention those last two. Those last two. <laughs> I, we've kept we've kept quiet for what fifteen minutes without mentioning those two. I thought I could have gone an episode without but, mentioning those but, two. But yeah, you know, all four of them. None of them were composed on the ball, and it reflects on the way that Man United play. And remember, for those two that I will not mention, they're like Voldemort. I'm not going to mention their names um, <laughs> in midfield. The main part of being a midfielder, a sense midfielder in the Premier League, the top league in England is to be composed on the ball or to be a really good screening for your defence. Yeah. That's from position one to position 20. Now, we talk about if those two could get into any of the top six teams. What no. teams would you would they get into in the top 10, the top 15? As starters? As starters, I don't yeah. think any. Do you think Everton would take them? Do you think I don't, think, would take I, don't them? Even, I don't even think Everton would take them because Everton have better midfielders at the yeah. minute. They're playing Iwobi. They're playing Iwobi in centre mid, and he did a good. Job. <laughs> He's done a good job two games in a row. I know they made I mean, the guy. The guy that they've just bought from Lille, Onana. 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 Oh, I, I love Onana. I love Onana. Not Nana, but I love Onana. He looks a player. You know, he's he's strong. He's, oh, he's such a good player. Composed on the ball. He's going to be a good player for Belgium at the World Cup if he gets selected. I think it'll be a really good player for Belgium at the World Cup. He was good for Lille in the Champions League when I last saw him uh, last season. What a player to watch! And Lille is an is a is a place where, despite Nicolas Pepe not really doing that well, Ariel is a good yeah. is a way is a good team like kind of like RB Leipzig and uh, Benfica when they're bringing a lot through bringing through a lot of good young players and they're somewhere where even where you know we're meant to be panic buying like we're meant to be panic buying for Casemiro and Rabiot. Why not panic buy at one of these smaller clubs that don't have big wages on their on their books for some of these players? And you're seeing the likes of Everton, the likes of Wolves, the likes of uh, Nottingham Forest even signing some of these big midfielders that are going to be good for them as well. And you're kind yeah. of worried that who is actually making these big signings? Are these Ten Hag signings? Are these um, scout signings? Are these just management signings? It's quite embarrassing to see. And we speak about this every single year um, on this podcast. But it's quite worrying to really see how Man United can progress forward. And that's why I wanted to put the question out there for the two of you. Let's say, for example, just before the World Cup, we're around October, November time. And Ericsson Hogs Manchester United are around 15th, 11th. We're not doing that well. What do you think Ericsson Hogs should do next? Do you think he should, A, stick with Man United until the end of the season? B, leave before the World Cup and save his reputation because he frankly doesn't deserve this and has been let down by the board? Or C, just stick throughout of it because he's gone through tough times at Utrecht. He's gone through tough times at FC Twenty. Um, but what do you guys kind of think? Do you reckon it could be somewhere where he kind of needs to save his own reputation because he's been a very, very good coach, probably one of the top ten coaches in Europe over the last five years for what he's done at Ajax as well. So Adel, I'll go with you first, then we'll go with everyone. What your um, thoughts would be on Ericsson Hag? By the way, anyone listening, I am a Man United fan, so not an Eric Ten Hag fan, but I do back the manager more than I back these players. So I hope people know this because these players have let me down too often as well. I think he needs to... Well, he knows the players now. He knows who he can rely on and who he can't rely on. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to trust in himself to pick the players that he wants to play and the system he wants to play in. 
and hope, well, hope that he gets backing in the last two weeks of the transfer window to bring in players that fit the way he wants to play. As I said, he wants composure on the ball. Every player must has to be composed on the ball. So who he picks from the current players we have have to fit the way he plays. And the way the ones that don't fit and the ones that don't want to play the way he wants to play, drop them. Don't ever pick them again. Some of these players and are I think he would he I think if he does that, he will save himself and he will see that things will start to improve. Because they need coaching these players do. Mm-hmm. You know, some of By the them... way, shout out Steve McLaren and Mitchell van der Gaard because those two are very good coaches. They're world-class coaches. And Steve McLaren, even though we bantered him for being the England coach that knocked Wally. us out, Wally Vabroli, we didn't get to the Euros. He's a very good coach like he did at Middlesbrough and at Manchester United previously as well. So we do have the coach and staff there at Manchester United. Yeah. So it's just down to how they actually listen to them as well and how they actually come across to these players as well. That, that's the, I think they have to pick players that fit the way they want to play and stick with them. Yeah. Like, players like Maguire and Short don't listen. Just don't pick them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whether you get backing in the transfer market or you don't, pick the youth players if you think they suit the way you play. Yeah, because they'll be learning. They'll be having, yeah. they'll be observing what everyone's doing in training. So that could be a good way of bringing the likes of James Garner or Zidane Ekbao into this team, which would be better than seeing 11 players who don't really want to play for the badge, which is quite sad to see as well. They just need, you know, he has to pick players that play his way, players he can trust, players he can make, have to create a bond with, players that can create a bond with each other. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, well, I would, I'm not going to recommend anything because who am I to recommend, but you never know. They might be listening to Friday Night Counter Attack this week. You never, yeah, you never know. know. He shouldn't walk. Mm. He should stick mm. with it. Whether Man United come under new ownership in the near future, who knows? Who knows? And there, there's talks of that today as well. We'll let Ariel yeah. say his piece and then we'll move on to that bit before we wrap up this part of the podcast. So, Ariel, what are your thoughts on what we just said? Should Ten Hag walk? Should he stay? Uh, like, maintain his reputation what should he do what do you think he should do well you know I idealistically like i think i would say i i mean so this is another part of myself too manchester united is also my second favorite team so i'll say that in in mm-hmm. england mm-hmm. so uh and actually, it's okay for arrow because he's an american yeah because so i have I'm, multiple I'm here, so i like again i'm from far away and i have yeah. multiple teams that i like <laughs> Make sure you're following strictly football for his North American and CONCACAF football. If you go to him and you uh, abuse him about Man United and Arsenal, don't. We will not be happy about that. He <laughs> doesn't deserve it. Hey, it's okay. I it's mean, good. Come, come check it out anyways. Um, Because again, this is just like from the outside in. I think idealistically, I want Manchester United to be back to where it was. Some of my fondest memories when I was younger was watching Manchester United against Chelsea and like, so I, I want them to do well. So idealistically, I would love for Ten Hag to stay there because I think he is a really good coach. I think he has the potential to actually like have like the, that effect that Sir Alex Ferguson had where he's there for a long time and he can do that. But I think like realistically, if the ship is, I mean, the ship is sinking, <laughs> it, it's been sinking 
And ten, if it ten means years has like, been sinking. It's it's been sinking. I don't think that Manchester United prepared themselves well enough for that transition after Sir Alex Ferguson. But should like, he be jumping in this lifeboat straight away? I I think a part of it. I think I you know I gotta say I gotta I will say this, and I don't know how controversial. I do think some of the blame is actually on Sir Alex Ferguson, me personally. No, because no, it, there, it is I, I because agree. there is there yeah. was no plan after your their yeah. life after you was not prepared, mm-hmm. and there was no plan. And so a part of it lands on, you know, arguably one of the best coaches of all time. And he, he was one of the main factors of the Glazers buying Manchester United as well. That's for a whole other story, a whole other podcast. But yeah, if people so don't know this, you, he was one so of you, the key factors for the Glazers signing Manchester United. As so, you know, I think like idealistically, I would love for him to stay to like ride out the wave, be there, get rid of those players that are just like dead weight. Fucking do what we did with Obama Yang. Just fucking terminate their contract. Get them the fuck out of here. Put it on Amazon Prime. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone see that. Yeah, dude. I would love to just get the fuck out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, good luck. I'd I'd rather Ten Hag just get rid of those players and just have a clean slate and have a real like a real like chance, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like they still have a little bit of time to do some of that. You know, get rid of one or two players that are just like they're just there just to take up space. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. and we know this a fan that's like an Arsenal fan, like I know this because we experienced that with Arsenal. And once we got rid of those players, there was just a different feeling, right? Like you got rid of the Gwendozis of the world, the freaking Williams of the world that are just eating up the 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 payroll and like just space on the team. So I don't know if if the ship doesn't seem like there's any patches or anything happening. I think he needs to get the hell out of there too. I think he he needs to get out. If if like if there's no sign of like of willingness to change, there has to be oh, some willingness to change here, because because what what's what's happening right now is not working, and like the Glazers, everybody has to be on in line with that. Just a bit of breaking news. My uh, my last one dry for a second. I just saw some breaking news pop through um, on the laptop. <clears throat> you know, okay. we're talking about a new a new owner. There's been talks from Sky Sports that Sir Jim Radcliffe, the richest man in England, is interested in buying a stake in Manchester United. So he's looking at kind of getting involved with former players and is looking to make a serious offer. This is how my voice is just choked when you just we just see <laughs> it's not your audio, ladies and gentlemen, it's me. Um, but yeah, he's got already got a stake in FC, I'm not uh, he's got a club in Switzerland, nice. he's nice. got one in Nice as well. And I think he owns like a bike bike team as well, a cycling team. And there's obviously the CEO of Ineos Group Limited. So, yeah, if that were the sport. case, if that were the case, even though there have been talks of jokes of Elon Musk signing Man United. There is a serious contention for Sir Jim Radcliffe to actually look to become a, a make an offer into Manchester United as well. And I think, like I said, we don't talk about controversy that much in terms of ownerships and stuff. But I really think if this were the case, just go for it. You're the rip- richest man in the country. Everyone would be loving you for the rest of your life, man. Like, just go and do it. <laughs> man United fans around the world will be just doing everything for you as well. But there are talks from the Times where it's saying, um, um, if if it was possible, he'd be interested in taking a long term ownership as well. And it's there's talks of him actually looking to get some help from the former players and some senior officials as well who have worked at Manchester United as well. And he's looking at trying to do it 
in a different kind of way from the Glazers. And the Glazers are apparently open to selling as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's 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 a to be continued on that one as well. Hopefully in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of months' time, there's some fruition to these stories. But just as we were speaking there, these these topics have come out as breaking news in, in the United Kingdom. So, yeah, promising sides ahead. It's kind of like, you know, at the end of Star Wars when um, Luke's hands get chopped off as well when he's looking into the, the galaxy and is like, you know what, something good could happen. Does the Empire strike back? I don't know with this Man United side. The, the <laughs> Empire is not strong enough at Manchester United. But, um, there are talks of fans actually trying to uh, protest outside the ground for the Liverpool game. So if that happens, that happens as well. I think it probably will. There will be a big protest on Monday. Yeah, definitely. Oh, boy, that's a tough That's a tough game. Oh, man. It's just like... If you, do you play fantasy football, Ariel? I did not, no. Okay. If you were to play fantasy football, I'd triple captain Mohamed Salah for that game to make sure you get <laughs> So many of these points <laughs> in, this, in this game as well. Liverpool fans are worried because they haven't had a good start to the season, but there's a banker. Man United yeah. don't want... You're going to get your first three points of the season against Manchester United, which is good as well. Yeah. Um, but no, just to wrap up the podcast, a new segment that we have for this season is called One to Watch. So for the Premier League games coming up this weekend as well, we don't want to go through all of the games. We just want to know one player that you guys are going to watch out for um, in this weekend coming up. So... What I'll do is I'll share um, my ones first as well. So with me, what play I really want to watch out for from the West Ham game against Brighton is I want to see how Leandro Trossard does against West Ham. I think it'll be a good game for West Ham to kind of see how it will go for them. I think it'll be fun to see how West Ham do after losing against um, Nottingham Forest last weekend. And I think it's going to be very good to see how Leandro Trossard actually does because Brighton are looking good this season. They had a draw on the weekend, I think, but they beat Man United convincingly. And you know how people are looking at these wingers for like 40, 50 million? I think he's a 40, 50 million pound winger because he actually can do the business under Graham Potter and at Brighton as well. So for anyone listening, Leandro Trossard is my man to watch this weekend as well. I've just popped the games in the chat, um, uh, gents. So if you want to have a look at it, Ariel, I'll let you go first. If there's a player in the Premier League you want to watch out for this weekend, who would it be and why? Uh, well, you can say Gabriel Jesus against Bournemouth. No, I, I would say <laughs> that uh, Fabio Vieira just got his first game in <clears throat> against Swansea. So supposedly he's supposed to be on the list to play in the on the weekend. I don't know, but one uh, of the five subs, maybe that would be good. Maybe I think I'm curious to see what how he he wrote how he's in there you know he's supposed to be like kind of like the backup to Odegaard and uh which I think is necessary to have a backup to Odegaard and I'm, I'm and curious. a strong I challenger see how as well it. you have to see if he's going to be a strong challenger because whenever as we know as well being Arsenal Man United fans when there's a player too comfortable in their position that they know that the backup player isn't very good they know that they're undroppable and they can drop disaster class after disaster class after disaster class in every game so hopefully Odegaard's on his toes this season with Vieira behind him as well, which will be good. Yeah, I think I, I, I think that I think he the kid seems pretty good. I, I, he seems really thin. I think that's my only worry though is that he seems really thin. He seems really fragile. <laughs> I don't. I would hate for for a grown man to just come and just fucking slide tackle him and just break his little leg. So oh my god, I, he he just looks really small, you know. So he just I I'm just worried about about him getting hit by freaking Koulibaly and uh, <laughs> of the league. So you know I. Uh, I, I, but I but I do want to see him. So hopefully he makes it on for a couple of minutes and just kind of get get a little, you know, a new side of the new one of the new signings. Yeah, because um, 
in the all the all or nothing documentary as well. They love talking about the chef being best friends with Kieran Tierney as well. So hopefully he becomes best friends with uh, Vieira and he'll be bulking mm-hmm. up because we've seen Smith roll bulk up over a season. Tierney was another one as well. So it shows that the nutrition is there at Arsenal and you're getting fed in North London. You're eating properly in North London as well. It should mm-hmm. be good for them to see as well for Vieira. And Adam, just to wrap it off as well, what player from this weekend's games do you think we should watch out for um, for you? Um, I'm interested to see how Newcastle do against Man City. That's a cracking game to watch. 4.30 New- on Sunday um, in England. Uh, probably Bruno Gomares from Newcastle. I, do I want to like see him. how he does. I want to see how he does against City. You know, Newcastle have started well. They've started the season well. So have City. It's going to be a cracking game. I want to see how he controls the play for Newcastle. See what damage. If he can against this ever controlling Manchester City, though, yeah, all eleven players from the team can't control the team. I want to see what, what what he can do if he can grab the game by the scruff of his neck and you know dictate Newcastle what they do. Against, see, yeah. see, see how he does. Yeah, all of you know against the likes of De Bruyne, um, Rodri It's going to be good to see how he does with that, which would be crazy. Um, but yeah, that just wraps up this part of the podcast, which is great to see. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening to this podcast. Um, Ariel, before I let you close out the podcast, Adil, I just want to say thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining on the podcast this week. It's been great no to have you back. And hopefully we'll be seeing each other very soon as well. And hopefully we'll be going to a, a game this season, maybe not in England. And that could be something that the listeners could be watching out for on our social media platforms. Find us on Instagram and YouTube, as you know. Um, but yeah, I'll leave it to our very special guest all the way from the West Coast of United States, Ariel from Strictly Football Podcast to close us out. So Ariel, take it away with whatever you want to talk about. If you want to shout out your page, go for it. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege to connect with you and, you know, talk some football. Uh, yeah. If, if you all can go and listen to our podcast, we we release episodes weekly, mainly focused on CONCACAF, uh, but we do sprinkle in some European football uh and it's strictly football that's our instagram strictly football 21 uh our twitch is also strictly football 21 if you're interested in watching us play fifa we play fifa pro clubs on there i don't know so you got a ps5 thing. yet not yet no when you get a ps5 we'll join them for clubs we'll play clubs <laughs> online with them we were terrible the last time we played. We're awful at clubs. We're so bad at clubs. But well, we're we're not any better. We're, we're, we're not any better. Guys on Twitch. This is what we want. This is what we want for these guys. Yeah. So we'll you help know, them by being bad. That's how we we'll do it. That's how we. That's how we roll. We have our. We know we are not the best players, but we we're in there having a good time, and you know, come come with us and watch us. Strictly football twenty one. Strictly football twenty one. Uh, and yeah, we're on all major podcast platforms. Thank you again for having us here. No, thanks for, for joining me us. here. No, I didn't get to have the other guys with me, but you know. next time, like I said, we've got the rest of the season to build up this season as well. It's going to be great to hear more from you going forward as well, especially when the World Cup comes and we want a bit more information about those CONCACAF teams and those American teams as well. So you'll be the first people we'll be contacting about that, which will be great. But yes, everyone, thank you very much for listening to to my weekly pain or like I said last week it shouldn't really be called Friday Night Counterattack anymore it should be called Friday Night Therapy because it's basically therapy for me <laughs> every week to vent about how bad Manchester United are and this week it was good to share my thoughts with Ariel and Adil as well so I had double A um, to talk about this week which is great and it's just um, I'm not in what's, what's, what does double A mean? Alcohol um, 
Alcoholic Anonymous. Yeah, alcohol Anonymous. Yeah, yeah Al- Alcoholics Anonymous. Because we don't drink Ariel, it's kind of like them. Um, I was going to say Aaron Wan-Bissaka anonymous, but he's just anonymous all the time when he's playing in the game or he's not playing in the game. So <laughs> I mean, that's my guy. I mean, he fell off, but that's my guy. He fell off so bad as well. If Crystal Palace <laughs> won him. They can take him back, just take him as a return. We don't need any money for him. It's that bad for him. Um, but no, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for supporting us throughout all these episodes that we've got coming along as well. More content coming up for you this season and um, hopefully more Ariel, more Adil. Looking forward to it. Take care, everyone. Take care. Uh, everyone listening and goodbye